0: Hello and welcome to the ID Talk podcast. My name is Peter Counter and I am the editor-in-chief of Fine Biometrics, where we are constantly reporting on the latest developments and innovations in biometrics and digital identity. And that's why in this latest episode of the podcast, I am excited to welcome back Connor White, president of New Industries at Dayon. White has been with Dayon since its inception, starting as the company's CTO and later president of America's. In our interview, he let me in on how those roles prepared him for his new responsibilities as president of new industries, helping set the stage for our in-depth conversation of how and why biometrics are poised to transform healthcare, automotive, and gaming. We talk about the latest technological innovations that are making strong identity a reality in these sectors, and the privacy and cultural factors that influence our global industry. It's a wide-ranging conversation that gets to the core concepts of identity and paints a bright future, free of fraud and driven by premium user experiences. It's really fascinating, and I hope you enjoy it. Here is my interview with Connor White, president of New Industries for Dayon. I'm joined now by Dayon's President of New Industries, Connor White. Connor, welcome back to the ID Talk podcast.
1: Thank you, Peter. It's a pleasure to be here today.
0: Fantastic. It's always great speaking with you. Now, I want to start off by talking a little bit about your new role at Dayon. So you've been with Dayon since the very beginning. You started as the CTO. You spent recent years as the company's President of Americas, My question is, how have your previous experiences prepared you for your new responsibilities as the president of new industries?
1: Thank you, Peter. I I see it as a natural evolution of my career trajectory at Dayon. And in some sense, the things I've done up to now have paved the way towards um, the the role I've taken on uh, most recently, which is a global role, looking at the key new markets we should target. And when we look backwards, some of the most significant breakthroughs in Dayon's history have come from focusing on, the, on on new markets. You know, From the very early days, 20 years ago, when we targeted the um, uh, government to citizen services like we did with in the United States and other countries, to 10 years ago when we went after uh, the financial services with the, taking the IP that we, we had developed for these uh, mission critical uh, national security systems, we took that IP and we uh, made it available on a handset um, and made it available to, to consumers within the uh, financial services market to most recently when we uh, developed, took our technology and developed it in, uh, to help with ensuring safe travel and enabling people to, to travel much more easily um, during COVID and during the pandemic with our uh, Verify solution. So we've, we've done this, you know, a no- number of times in the, in, the, in the history of the company and each time focusing on these new markets has has led to a tremendous change uh, for Dayon in terms of our expansion. And we feel while the um, financial services industry was a core market and the travel industry have been core markets for us, as we've been watching the development and the the need for digital identity, we've seen a number of new markets now that are ready. And they're really ready to adopt this technology to get frictionless experiences for their customers and to reduce fraud and ensure integrity of the data that that, 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 that these companies manage.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, that's a really great segue into what I want to talk to you next, because while, you know, I would like to talk mostly about these new industries, before we get too far in that direction, I want to sort of take stock about where biometrics have already established themselves. You've already mentioned a few of them, but I'm wondering if you can expand um, on how biometrics have established themselves in these spaces and really transform these industries.
1: Sure. I, I mean, financial services that I mentioned is probably the the early adopter of biometrics for consumers. Um, And that's uh, due to the uh, dramatically rising uh, levels of fraud that they're experiencing. And in trying to respond to those fraud, those fraud attacks somewhat successfully, but somewhat unsuccessfully, they were creating an an awful lot of friction for their consumers, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And because of that, and the potential liability connected to the data that they protect, it made them a perfect candidate for for adopting strong identity uh, protection. And so by doing so they they position themselves at the forefront of, of this wave of uh, consumer identity protection and setting the benchmark for other industries and reducing the amount of the basically the bottom line the, the fraud for themselves and some of our customers um, have, have actually seen a dramatic increases in their net promoter score by bringing the technology we provide into the, the consumer interaction and basically removing the friction, unless absolutely necessary, while also driving down the, the fraud rates that they're seeing. So it's a win-win on both sides.
0: Mm-hmm. And then
1: with COVID, um, the, the pandemic that we had, it, it really accelerated, accelerated the adoption of uh, this capability within the travel industry for a somewhat uh, different reason. Uh, instead, of, instead of presenting fraud, their interest was more in removing touch points and streamlining the processes and ensuring compliance with rapidly changing uh, government uh, regulations around COVID and the attestations you had to have, like so, for example, a PCR test, an antigen test, a, a vaccine, and so on, and we're now we're now starting to see situations where a person can travel without needing to have any human interaction at all at all because we have helped automate that process so well. I, I over the pandemic I had to travel myself to to my to Ireland where I was originally from to see my my dad who was ill at the time, and. I, I remember going to the airport and uh, there was a person wearing extremely bright green, um, which is easy to spot. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you know what? I'm going to time. She, this this lady was at the back of the line when I got there. I did not have to go to the check-in counter or do any of that. And I just went because I had verified. I had done the, the pre-processing necessary. I went through security. I got on the um, on the, at Dulles Airport on the train. I went to my gate. And I counted 47 minutes before that lady arrived, and she looked like she was, had run most of the way. So she wasn't stopping and taking her time. It was just the, the process of checking in, all that, you know, being able to get back to, I've often talked about this, the, the pre-COVID wonderful travel experience, which we're finally getting back to now. Uh, we were able to deliver that experience uh, because of the way we married identity to travel credentials uh, during that period. So those are the two main areas that adopted it super fast for us.
0: Mm-hmm, absolutely, yeah. I mean that that tracks with what we've been seeing as well over the time. And uh, and you know if, when you're talking about improving the uh, the seamless uh, traveler experience and getting it back to pre-COVID levels, it's just about time. All of the uh, the data is showing that 2023 is going to be a return to pre-COVID passenger volume. So it's really great that we have these solutions that can help us uh, not be the person dressed in green. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, uh, we've been uh, following Dayon this whole time through this evolution uh, of your, you know, solutions in financial services, in travel and hospitality. And I'm wondering what you've learned um, because, you know, we really see Dayon, I think, nobody would really uh, dispute this as a pioneer in those fields. Um, what have you learned as a pioneer in financial services and travel and hospitality that will be sort of informing your expansion efforts into new industries?
1: Absolutely. And it's, 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 uh, I mean, there's, there's probably 20 things, but the one that stands out most to me is it's, it's all about, um, the, the customer, the end user experience, uh, whether it's providing them peace of mind by giving them the highest level of fraud protection, uh, mit, you know, removing friction and making it easy for them to access their data through the simplicity of, of biometric authentication, um, or taking away stress by allowing them to do things uh, remotely with, based on, their, on a strong attestation of identity that they don't have to do face to face. And so, people then, when they can get things done ahead of time, um, and we can talk about some of that in the healthcare sector as well. Uh, what it will do is it it reduces friction and it reduces um, uh, friction for the in-person environment, but also reduces, um, what's the right word here, you know, frustration ahead of time or concern. And so at the the end of the day, um, a lot of companies are adopting uh, our technology to help drive down fraud. But as importantly, if not more importantly, it's helping them have better relationships with their customers and enable more secure, easier, frictionless uh, experiences for those customers. And I think that's this. That's going to be the the thing that drives us into many many new industries, um, and it's it's really no matter which of the verticals we're looking at, they have the same problem. They need to know who they're dealing with, and they need to make sure it's the right person because uh, the consequences of of serving the wrong person with the data with with the data of somebody else, you know, it has significant consequences to them. But they need to do it in a way that's minimal friction, um, so that they're not putting up barriers to legitimate users, and that's been. Kind of the posture that the security industry has been taking for some time is to introduce more barriers instead of actually getting rid of those barriers and putting the human back in the transaction.
0: Mm-hmm. absolutely. It's always been uh, or traditionally, it's been sort of this give and take trying to balance out the um, convenience versus security. But, you know, as we get closer to the identity that's at the core of all of these experiences, you know, it just sort of is naturally becoming, uh, it's marrying the two concepts of frictionless user experience with uh, strong identity-supported
1: security. If you put the person back in the transaction, mm-hmm. you increase both security and you increase convenience. That, that, that's the key. To us, that's the key tenant. Being able to serve your customer by dealing directly with your customer, not some proxy for them, is what drives the best experience and the best security as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's it's definitely... Uh, being a, a noticeable shift to see that this customer experience has become really a, a major driving factor in where we're seeing expansion and where we're seeing the most innovation as well, um, as as opposed to before it really was more of an anti-fraud situation and now you don't have to compromise. Um, to, to kind of follow off of what you, you mentioned, you mentioned a little bit already, healthcare, but what verticals are your first priorities when it comes to expansion? And you know, maybe beyond the customer experience, what is driving demand for identity solutions in those spaces?
1: Sure, and, and we've, we've, we've identified a, a, a number of verticals that, um, that we, can, we can touch on in this, in this discussion, uh, but I guess the, the key one uh, that we're focused on, right, or one of the key ones is healthcare. Um, and we're starting to see tr- tremendous adoption uh, or, or, excuse me, interest in adopting uh, the technology that the financial services uh, market has adopted to help uh, have a better customer experience, a patient experience. Um, and so that's probably going to be one of the areas of, of dramatic growth for us. There's, um, you know, if you if you think about what what HIPAA has, has, has required, you know, in terms of protecting data, yet the Cures Act uh, requires uh, distribution of a customer's data. I'm entitled now to get access to my data. And Technically, to own my data. Um, and yet, as a, as a, a US uh, consumer, I have uh, in the healthcare space, m- many different providers who are not joined up. So I all of a sudden have tons of uh, access control issues, right? You know, from what various different systems I'm trying to access. And then I'm taking care of family members, younger kids, or I'm taking care of elderly parents. And it just doubles, quadruples, you know, and so on. So what, we, what we're seeing is a, a, a significant and I just got back from the Vive conference in Nashville this week, and a tremendous uh, buzz around the use of identity and identity assurance technologies such as ours. Um, and there's a number of use cases we've identified. Uh, you know, one of which is, for example, patient onboarding, making that much easier, especially in the world of telehealth. Um, provider onboarding. There's a lot of, a lot going on in the in the industry today, uh, where there you know with, with change in the in the uh, workforce and people are moving jobs a lot, they, but when you, when you onboard somebody, you have to not only know who they are, you have to know what they're, if they're qualified to do the job and their state uh, regulations and hospital system regulations and so on. So we provide technology that enables that by combining the identity assurance that we have with the AI engine capabilities that we built for Verify, for document processing and things like that. So we really have a great solution for both patient uh, onboarding and provider onboarding. And on top of that, we, we do a lot of other things uh, you know, one of the things we, we'll be at the, the Hymn show uh, coming up this month in Chicago, and we'll be able to demonstrate these things. But uh, something that we're going to be able to show at the show as well is uh, secure dispensing of um, of medications. And so think about the world today. We we When we go to the pharmacy to get your medications, um, you stand in line. Sometimes I was talking to uh, the innovation uh, chief of innovation at a major hospital system. I won't name them, uh, yesterday. And she informed me. She said, you know, we have parking outside our pharmacy, um, and it has to say uh, up to 30 minutes because they spend 25 minutes in line sometimes <laughs> waiting to get the medication. Why should they spend 25 minutes? And because the line, it takes so long to serve that each customer. Um, but what if you could get your, ma- your medications um, preloaded into a secure locker? Now, I'm not talking about an Amazon locker because, you know, obviously, there's a, there's, you know, it's, it's a bit more sophisticated than that because these are medications, right? Um, but our technology today, and we've have, we, we have, we've shown this, um, can actually securely authenticate a person, uh, validate who they are, validate their, their age, and unlock a specific locker for them that would have their medications uh, pre-filled and ready. And so it's, I, 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 it's so, sort of a secure vending capability. And we see that not just in, in, in this space, but also in retail and other areas as well. So we're seeing a ton happening in the healthcare industry. And there's a lot more. There's... You know, patient identification and verification, uh, access to uh, medical records, both for, for uh, workers and for patients, uh, telemedicine, um, you know, even health insurance claim management. We're seeing today a lot of, um, there's a, a significant amount of insurance um, submissions from hospital systems are being kicked back by the insurance companies. Um, and they kind of, you know, they, they, we could argue whether they should be kicking back or not, but they are being able to kick them back because there isn't as much proof around the delivery of the service and biometrics and identity assurance can remove that, right? And so we, we, there's another use case there and we've got a, a couple of hospital systems who are very, very interested in deploying that. Um, and then there's other areas, right? So, I mean, we could look at, we could talk a bit about some of the other areas we're exploring, uh, you know, telecommunications and gaming and e-sports is also something that's very, very important to us. Um, and then automotive. And if, if you know, we've, we've actually done some work recently um, you would have seen us at, 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 the, at the CES show, the largest consumer electronics show, where we, we did an announcement with Qualcomm around their next generation platform, where we were able to show biometric authentication into a, a really cool uh, automotive experience. And, you know, I'm a firm believer that today's car and tomorrow's car are going to look very, very different. And the pace at which that is changing is tremendous right now.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely true. And you know, it's it's one of those situations where innovation breeds innovation. Um absolutely. the the idea of uh where a car is going is a lot closer, I think, and I hope I don't sound crazy saying this, but you know, tomorrow's car, I think, is is a lot closer to today's smartphone in terms of a personal device that recognizes you and uh can adapt to your identity.
1: Yeah, we we um we did a, a, a... Uh, a recent interview where i i, I we talked about software defined vehicles and i was you know for the, you know what what the iphone did for phones is what the current car platforms are going to do for the automotive experience right mm-hmm. where you will get in it will understand it's peter and they will completely tailor the apps and the experience to you and what you the apps you own the services you you require right mm-hmm. and then somebody else could do the same thing and you know so the hardware will be Less, you know, the old phones used to have a keyboard that limited what you could do with it, right? There's no keyboard on a modern phone because the keyboard becomes whatever it needs to be for that application. And you download apps to the to the, the platform when you need them, and in the same way that you'll download apps to your car. You'll transfer them from your phone. You'll tran- you'll, you'll transfer your experience from your house to your phone to your car to your work and and back home again you know so it's going to be a a very different world when it comes to travel in, in in the coming years quite frankly
0: i think it's uh interesting how our conversations around identity have really evolved recently to just be talking about like a real core human identity that is sort of modality agnostic but when we really talk about you know, when we look at the market models that are that are currently out there, there's a ton of focus on the use of face biometrics. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's just simply because it's a very natural modality. It's very, it's frictionless. You can use it on uh, any device that has a camera. Um, but That having been said, there's a lot of evidence that the future of biometrics will rely on multiple modalities. Last year, I spoke to Dayon CEO Tom Grisson about your company's use of the voice modality. It was a really refreshing conversation. My question for you is, how will multimodal biometrics fit into the larger ecosystem that we're talking about? Sure.
1: I I get asked Peter a lot, you know, what's the best biometric? I think I must have been asked five times this week. Um, and I, I, my answer is always, it's, it's always consistent. It's choice. Mm-hmm. It's whatever biometric works best uh, for that person, for that consumer, um, you know, which biometric is most accurate. They're all extremely accurate, right? At this point that, you know, um, and so you mentioned voice. So let's talk about voice for a second. You know, it has improved significantly in security, flexibility, and convenience. Um, and we see it as a very important modality. Um, when we first launched Identity X, uh, you know, over ten years ago, we supported uh, voice for in the app, right? So I could I could speak a phrase, my identity is secure, et cetera, et cetera, um, or I could use my face or or whatever. And we combined that with the phone itself and location and different things to get a a, a multimodal or a multi-factor auth without the consumer even realizing they were doing it. And we have since expanded our our voice capabilities, uh, not just from text dependent but text independent. And uh, most importantly, a voice replay uh, detection or spoofing algorithm. Um, and so now we're able to—we've um, deployed it at a number of customers, and we—and um, we're able to uh, very quickly and reliably detect the, the person and make sure it's that person that is the real, genuine person. And what we have is we have customers coming back and telling us that our technology is saving them, um, let's say, a typical bank, but forty-five seconds in the call, right? Because they're not asking me for the first four of my or last four of my social, my mother's maiden name, my date of birth, confirm my last two transactions, what whatever it is. And by the way, all that data you can find on the web if you're very good, or if you bought the data from somebody. So what we're what we're seeing now is a the use of voice to, especially in the contact center, the care center, to enable much much faster uh, delivery of service. So as a consumer, I'm extremely happy. And uh, driving down the fraud rates and the, and the contact center or the care center has been for many years now a major source of account takeover and, and uh, a significant vector of fraud. so uh, and it's not just there. think about a car I want to I'm driving a car in the future and I want to um, I want to order something but I'm not going to be I shouldn't be using my phone but if I could speak to the system and have it authenticate my voice and I can authorize a payment by just asking it to you know Send, uh, you know, $100 to my son in college because he, he needs money, you know, I could just say send $100 to whoever and it would use my voice to authenticate me um, and, and, and actually understand what I'm asking you to do at the same time. So it's a wonderful uh, technology um, and it enables, um, again, we're all about frictionless but secure and it enables a minimal friction or a frictionless experience while um, actually delivering better security. So from a banking perspective, as an example, It increases your customer scores because they no longer spend a lot of their time on the contact center trying to explain who they are. Um, And it also drives down fraud. And it also reduces the amount of agents you need um, to handle the calls because you're not spending 45 minutes per call uh, trying to just get the call going by understanding who you're dealing with. Mm -hmm.
0: Absolutely. So we've spoken about verticals and modalities, but I'm wondering about some regional considerations just because we've been talking so much about the human element to identity. You know, at Fine Biometrics, we're very passionate about the basic human right to identity. And when we talk about new industries for biometrics, I think those concepts, they're going to change depending on what regions we're talking about. So uh, we're you know, coming to the end of the podcast, I'm going to throw you a big question here. How will economic, cultural, and infrastructural aspects of different regions dictate the expansion of
1: biometrics into new industries? It's a great question. Um, And it's, you know, it's a a crucial uh, question to be able to answer. Um, And, uh, you know, it's also where we shine. We are we are we have clients all over the world, pretty much on every continent. You know, the U.S., Canada, Mexico, Europe, Australia, South Africa. Um, you know, but we're basically global, right? Which is a great strategic advantage to us. Um, that means a couple of things. One, we're we're prepared enough to we're prepared to quickly deploy and comply with regional requirements because we understand them and um, we have a, we've had real world experience. Um, in in deploying in all these countries and continents. And that's something that a lot of companies have not done. Um, So a a lot of, sorry, technology companies have not done, but most companies today are global or have global uh, aspirations. And we bring global experiences to every customer, right? If you're a customer in the United States or a customer in Latin America or a customer in Europe or a customer in Asia-Pac, we bring you the global experience from all those other regions. And we've, we've codified that into our product. So we understand at a, at a, at a micro level, the, the privacy regulations. We understand at a micro level, the cultural, uh, what 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 biometrics are preferred. And we can advise you and we can set those up. Of course, always making choice available. We understand how to read, you know, thousands of identity documents around the world. There's no point in just being able to read a driver's license, a U.S. driver's license accurately or a, a, a KO compliant uh, passport. You have to be able to deal with the the local um, identity documents for all these countries. And you, the only way you can do that is by actually having experience of doing it and learning and building the IP around that. So I think we bring all that together. And so, and, and you know, people are traveling more. So the world is more mobile. So if you're de- delivering a service in the U.S., um, you still the vast majority of the people you'll be encountering will will be from the United States demographic, but you still need to be able to deal with people who are coming into the country and who have either foreign identity documents or um, have a foreign uh, cultural thing where they prefer to use one biometric versus another. So again, our platform brings all that to play. And I think people underestimate that sometimes. And and we've had a number of companies who've evaluated us um, successfully, thankfully, where they've looked at our global capability um, and they've tested us not just with us people or european people but with people from all demographics and made sure that our algorithms work and work very well Mm -hmm. you mentioned uh
0: privacy briefly there and you know we recently finished our, our 20th annual year in review survey and it showed a majority of identity industry professionals really see the regulations uh and legislation that's coming up around Data privacy as positive when it comes to biometric adoption. My question for you is: How will privacy regulations affect how biometrics expand into new industries and use cases?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm actually a big fan of privacy regulations and and especially as they apply to to biometrics. You know, GDPR kind of set this set the stage, if you like, uh, and we were big proponents. We've been. You know, I look back at our 20-year history. We were compliant with what GDPR wants on day one of day on. You know, back in you know, <laughs> 2000, because it's it's fundamental. You collect the you 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 have to have explicit consent. You should have explicit consent from the user. You they should understand why you're doing it um, and the, what the benefits are for them. Um, you should only use it for the purpose for which you've disclosed. And if they no longer uh, want you to use it, you should delete their biometrics. And and that's what we've always done. Um, and I think, you know, we're starting to see um, a lot more legislation around this. And, and you know, there's a little bit of not invented here syndrome going on because they're they all have different names. They all have, you know, and it's a bit of a patchwork, but it boils back to the, um, the core principles of let them know why you're doing it and not bury it into 40 pages of text, but make it explicit and, and easy to understand why you're doing, why you're collecting the data, what you need it for. Um, it, may, it has to be for a lawful purpose and if they no longer wanna participate, you should delete it. And, and we are big fans of all of that. So I think to net out the answer for you, I think biometric regulation is gonna help drive adoption because people will now feel much more comfortable because they know there are legal safeguards around their sharing of the data. It's no longer gonna be the wild, wild west. And i should not sure it should it ever have been. Um, and I think, you know, quite frankly, some of the, the safeguards are putting around biometrics today should be applied to all data. Uh, not just the biometric data, mm-hmm. um, because we are proliferating so much else that has that's data of consequence, but we don't even realize it. So,
0: exactly. So- well, I mean, that's a really great testament to just having that privacy by design, privacy first, um, you know, uh, mentality. Um, so that's a really great note to almost end on. I do have one last question here. What can we expect to see from day on in twenty twenty three?
1: So, apart from expansion into new verticals, we have a whole we have a lot of product and capability coming, and um, I won't kind of give you too much detail now if you don't mind, but uh, watch this space in the next uh, coming months. We are about to deploy a whole new level of technology that will enable our consumers almost to self-serve themselves, our customers, excuse me, to self-serve themselves in terms of the the uh, experience that they want to tailor for their end users. Um, and so everything's gonna get better and faster and easier, but we're also going to make it uh, in the same way we've made it super convenient for um, for consumers through a frictionless process. We're gonna make it extremely convenient and easy for enterprises that want to adopt our technology, right? And so you're gonna see a whole new level of, of um, capability coming from us uh, in Q1 of this year.
0: <laughs> Fantastic, well, you heard it here first, everybody. Stay tuned for some big things from day on. Um, We'll be reporting on that. uh, Absolutely. On fine biometrics and mobile ID world. When it comes out one last question for you, Connor, how can Mm -hmm. listeners get in touch with you to learn more about what we're talking about today?
1: Get to learn more. The easiest way is our website, but if you want to reach out to me directly on LinkedIn or at my uh, down.com address, you write it down.com. Uh, I'd be happy to to uh, get back to people that way as well. So fantastic.
0: Well, we'll have that in the show notes, everybody. Just uh, open up your app and click on the links there. Connor, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you, Peter. And so concludes my conversation with Connor White, president of New Industries at DayOn. To learn more about the topics discussed in this episode, visit dayon.com, and for more conversations with the leading experts in biometrics and digital identity, stay posted to findbiometrics.com. I would like to thank Connor once again for joining me on this episode. Our podcast theme music is by Logomrad. I have been your host, Peter Counter. Thank you for listening to the ID Talk podcast.